as long as you come from your heart, don't even think about it. Just say how much you love the person. Say, I care about you. Don't make them feel bad and guilty that they want to hurt themselves. Just make it very, very clear that they are loved and people don't want them to go. there. My name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations And I hope better conversations with attempt survivors. I'm certainly going to try. Now, we are talking about suicide. This may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. You can reach out, hello at suicidenoted.com. I want to thank everybody for listening all over the world in places like Canada and Guam and Puerto Rico. We're getting more people in more places to hear these stories by these survivors. These stories matter. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Keep doing what you're doing. Let people know about it. And if you want to help us out, you can rate or review it if that's an option on your podcast platform. Today, I am talking with Alyssa. Alyssa lives in Vermont. And she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hi, Alyssa. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Where are you, by the way? I'm in my apartment. And what's what, what part of the country, I mean? Uh, Vermont. Oh, you're Vermont. in Vermont. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Oh, is that right? I love it. Sounds nice up there. It's probably getting cold. Yeah, it was snowing today. Do you remember how we found each other? Sometimes people reach out to me and sometimes I find them. You posted in my suicide attempt survivors group asking if anybody wanted to do the podcast. Cool. I appreciate you reaching out and being open to it. No problem. Yeah. So I know you are in Vermont. Yes. And I know that you tried to end your life. Four times. Four times. Okay. I want to hear about those. But before I ask about those, I want to ask you why you reached out or responded back to my message. Because, and I am asking this because most people would not say, yeah, I'll talk about this stuff, right? But you're not one of those people. And I'm wondering why or what what, what compelled you to reach out? I want to help break the stigma. I want other people to know they're not alone. I want people who have been in my position, but Mm -hmm. I don't want them to go that far. I want them to know that they can get help and they can talk about it and that it's not worth it. That's a good message. I always ask people to sort of share their story however they want to, right? So it's your life, obviously. Um, This is some tough stuff sometimes to talk about, but I'm glad that you're open 
So share with me however you want about, maybe you want to start with the first time? That makes sense? Yeah, so I had had suicidal ideation since I was 11 years old, but I didn't actually try until I was 32. Okay. So I was 32. I had suffered many, many years of trauma and I dealt with bipolar and depression, anxiety for years. And I just, I was at the end of my rope. Yeah. And I felt like I was a burden to people that loved me or supposedly loved me. And I felt like I just couldn't take it anymore. My mind right. was a living hell. I couldn't even breathe anymore. I didn't want to breathe anymore. Oh, wow. Just breathing hurt, you know, because of my emotional pain. It was horrible. Just having to be alive was very painful. And if I do my math correct, that's 21 years of struggle, ideating. That's a long time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I was a self-harmer. You know, I would cut and burn myself with cigarettes and things like that before my suicide attempt. But I had always been very mean to myself, always hurting myself. But yeah, 21 years of... <laughs> and I was right on the verge for most of it. Wow. Yeah. So tell me this. What... At some point, it was no longer the verge. You went past the verge. Correct. Uh, what was different? What changed that you said to yourself or you said, finally, nope, I'm done. I'm going to try to get out of this place. Well, I had been in my fourth abusive relationship and he left me. He had me brainwashed, you know, through mental abuse that I was absolutely worthless. Brought me down deeper to a place of pain than I was already in my own head. I felt like I was completely broken as a person because nobody would ever love me. I was a bad person. I was horrible and that nobody wanted me around. And I said, you know, this is too painful just being alive. Nobody wants me around. So I just can't do it anymore. And it was like that last little few months of trauma that I was just constant flashbacks. It was torture. I was tipped over the edge by the last, you know, traumatic memories I had and everything just went to hell. Everything was worse than it had ever been. And it was just a buildup of years of pain that brought me to that point. And I, I don't know what exactly the tipping point was, mm -hmm. but I think that that was that I thought I was worthless alone. I wasn't talking to my parents at the time. I had lost all my friends and I thought, my God, what kind of life is this? Right. Okay. So two attempts when you were 32 years old. So did you overdose? Yes. You did. I'm on many, many, many medications. So I just took everything. Uh, I'm very lucky my organs weren't damaged. Right. I so mean, most of the time people don't die from that. They just either become a vegetable yeah. Or their organs are destroyed. So that's, you know, the end point for most people who overdose. <laughs> I just got really lucky. So for both of those, uh, when you were 32, you ended up, I assume, in going to the hospital. Yes. And what did they do there? They gave charcoal and kept put my pulse. And I don't remember any of it. The first two times, I ended up just walking out. Wow. Yeah. I didn't want, I've been in the psych ward four times. I don't ever want to go again. 
And yeah, the first two times I attempted, they let me choose voluntarily if I was going or not. So I just walked out of there because I was supporting myself financially. Right. And I didn't have a choice. I had pets. So I was like, fuck this. I need to go back to work, you know? So just to state the obvious here, and if I'm not accurate, you'll tell me. When you walk out of the hospital both times, you're walking right back to essentially the same exact life. Exactly. That is a tricky situation to be in. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a situation that someone would be able to really heal or improve in if you're going right back to the same stuff. And again, just to be clear, I'm not judging it at all. It's just. No, it's fine. You're completely accurate. That was two years ago. Those both of those. Yeah. All right. So what happens after that? You get back home. You go back to your life and your dog and your job. What happens? Fall deeper into alcoholism. I was an alcoholic for 19 years. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept getting worse and worse, hung over every day or drunk all the time. And that, as you know, makes depression and anxiety a million times worse. For sure. So on top of what I was already feeling, I was also a total waste case and completely miserable, working too much, not showering enough. I wasn't taking care of myself at all. Uh, not doing anything except laying around and drinking all day, all morning, all night. I mean, that was a problem even years, a couple of years later till recently. But yeah, so that's basically what I did. I was drinking myself to gas. Right. You know, I didn't know what else to do because I was so unhappy. Yeah, so my work gave me something to focus on, so I kept doing it. Sure. What kind of work? I was a dental hygienist. Mm. So even though you were in that kind of pain and dealing with depression, drinking a lot, you kept your job. Somehow. Wow. Yeah. Like I mm. worked at the same place for 13 years. Now, did the people at your work or anybody else in your life know about either of those first two attempts? Yes. They did. Yeah. Second attempt, I was overdosed and I didn't show up for work. And my coworker knew instantaneously that something serious was wrong. So she called the police. They came here, they broke in, mm. and they found me. Took mm. me to the hospital. It's intense. Very. And that's not the end of the story. Oh, I know we got more to talk about. Don't worry. I'm just sort of thinking how did the people in your life, whether they're coworkers or whoever else who knew about it, How did they respond to you? What did they say? Or how did they respond to you? Nothing. They said nothing. Not a word. No. My parents didn't know about it because we weren't talking. Actually, the first time my friend came to the hospital to be with me, and she did tell me she was really scared for my life. So there was that. But yeah, everybody's afraid to talk about it. Right. So nobody really, like my coworkers... They just said we were worried about you. I actually, I have to tell you this. My ex-boyfriend, before my third suicide attempt happened, I had bought a gun and he said, I don't care what you do with it as long as you don't put me in the suicide note. That was like, wow, okay, I guess nobody really cares at all. My parents didn't know. Mm-hmm. My best friend Kylie was told me she was scared, but other than that, nobody addressed it. That's how people often deal with it, right? Just don't deal with it. 
Absolutely. Let's go fast forward a little bit. It's not that much of a fast forward because that was when you were 32 and now you're 34. And there's still two more attempts. And I don't want to dwell entirely on that, but I do want to hear about them. September 25th of last year, to put it bluntly, I shot half my face off with two bullets in a suicide attempt. Back up for one second, Alyssa. I have a question. Yeah. I don't mean to get too granular. No, it's fine. My best friend killed himself with a gun. He was a cop, so he had a gun. I'm so sorry. No, no. Well, thank you. It's been many years. Usually you only get one bullet. So what I did was because I thought, this is incredible, actually. When I went to get the gun, I was drunk. I didn't Mm -hmm. go to work that day. Went to get the gun, and I said to the guy, I really want a gun that can blast a watermelon to pieces. And he said, okay. So I spent $700. And did you want to hear about what happened when I attempted? Is that what you're As much as you want to share. And remember... If either of us feel like it's too much, I can edit it out. But if you're comfortable sharing with me, please do. Sure. So I was drunk. I went and got the gun. Within 10 minutes, I had loaded the gun and I was in the backyard. Your backyard? The backyard of the apartment of the farmhouse I have an apartment in. Yes. So uh, within 10 minutes, got home, loaded the gun, went out back, got on my knees, did like under my chin, and I assumed... Because I thought if I went like this, it might slip. You know, if I put it to the back of my head or the side of my head. So I get under my chin. I remember being knocked to the ground. And I kind of crawled over on my stomach. And I laid there bleeding horribly. But I don't remember feeling pain. So I stood up. And I could feel my cheeks flopping around. Okay? And I was spitting out teeth. Hmm. And I was like. And I was like 15 minutes later and I was like, I'm not dead. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So I put the handgun on, you know, I did it again. I don't want to, you know, tell people. And I tried it again and the bullet collapsed my eye socket, came out my forehead. Didn't touch my brain at all, neither one. So all my maxillary sinuses over here, completely gone. My jaw is completely made of metal now. Mm-hmm. Part of my leg bone. Then I shot myself again, didn't even pass out, just kind of went into shock. I remember some police coming, picking me up and putting me on the ambulance, cutting off my favorite necklace. That's all I remember. They put me in sedation for six days and I woke up. I couldn't talk. I didn't think I'd ever talk again, actually. Woke up, uh, was terrified. And I was like, are you kidding me? How did I not die? Like, this is unreal. So, woke up, was in the hospital for three weeks. I couldn't even stand up. Had to go to the bathroom in the bed. Then they put me in the psych ward for two weeks. And they let me leave voluntarily. And this is September, October 2019. September 25th, 2019. And again, are you returning basically to the same life? No. No. So actually, when I was at the hospital, I, when I first woke up, I wrote, no parents. I didn't want to see my parents. They came the, the day after, but I didn't know they were there. So after I left, I thought they didn't come to see me. I didn't know. I left and I went to see them, but I had my car. I mean, I went back to driving and doing everything and drinking like a fish. 
I went right back to where I was. And so I actually went to my parents where they live. And they were crying hysterically to see me. And so I went back to that life. I did I haven't worked since. So I wasn't working. I was at home drinking all day alone. Okay. But my dad was coming over. And I actually then I attempted two weeks after I was out of the hospital again. I attempted I, again. Did you still have that same gun? No, the police still have it. Okay. I, I overdosed again. My dad had a bad feeling that night. Yeah, he was like, there's something wrong. I know it. So they sent the police. I'm so sick of the cops. for doing. I haven't even done anything to anybody, and I've dealt with the cops so many times. Mm. So they come knocking on my door. My neighbors are texting me saying, what's going on? Why are the cops here? And I said, oh, I'm not here. I'm out. So I told them, you know, they thought I was out, so they told the cops I was out. Cops kept knocking on my door. We're going to bang this door down if you don't come answer the door. We know you're in there. So the cop who actually found me when I shot myself was the one who came on call. They're talking to me, and I haven't felt the effects of this yet because I just drank it. And I'm standing there, and I'm trying to get them to go away because I'm like, I can't survive again. What kind of sick joke is this? Mm. So I'm standing there going, Jesus, you know, Jesus Christ, they're coughing you. So I try to get them to go and, and convince them that I'm fine, that, you know, I, I'm fine and nobody has to worry about me. And then all of a sudden, my knees just kind of started buckling. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I have to tell you, you're going to take me anyway. They ended up taking me to the hospital, giving me Narcan, you know, all that stuff. So that was my last suicide attempt. Yeah, it's been a year since my last suicide attempt. Yeah, how's the year been? Miserable. I was up to a half handle of rum a day that I was drinking. A half what? Uh, half a handle. What is that? Like jugs of liquor. All right, because your tolerance gets higher, so you have to drink more. Right, and I was waking up in the night to drink. Twice a night, I would wake up, have a big drink. Yeah. I, can't, I was poisoning myself. And yeah. I think in my mind, I was like slowly killing myself because nothing else had worked. So you're probably so, also getting cheaper and cheaper rum, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you want to be able to get drunk, but you know, you don't want to spend too much. So you get, I don't know if there's a big difference in the quality of the cheaper and more expensive stuff, but I, I've never been in your shoes at all. But I've had times in my life where I was drinking a little bit more than I thought I should have been, and more and more. And I noticed. I'm getting cheaper stuff in the bigger bottles, right? Yeah. And I was aware, like, uh, this is a slippery slope, right? Oh, yeah. And I've, I've met many, many people who have told me that. Some people aren't necessarily alcoholics for life, but a lot of people go through stints in their life where they're drinking too much, and then they actually become dependent on it. They don't right. even realize it, and then they get deeper and deeper into the hole. Some people can just stop. Some people struggle for life. But I'm yep. sorry you had to go through that because it does make you feel horrible. Mm, horrible. I mean, you, you just want to die all the mm. time. You're either hungover or drunk. So, Alyssa, this has been a miserable year, you said. And obviously, in the last part of this year, we're also dealing with all this other chaos and uncertainty with COVID, right? And the lockdown. Right. I like COVID. 
Because mm-hmm. not because people are dying, but because I can put on a mask. Mm-hmm. Nobody can see half my face. Your third suicide attempt, you tried to you shot yourself in the under the what in the jaw? Yeah, right here under the chin. Right. Now there's a podcast, so nobody's gonna see it. Yeah. And you would ask me sometimes you need to repeat things. So I can hear you in just fine, and I assume the listeners can as well, but you have part of your face has clearly been affected. Yeah. Now part of your um, cheek and your eye, I notice, are affected by what that what happened. Yes. Yeah. My eye socket collapsed. Mm-hmm. So it's sewn shut. Right. All my sinuses are gone. Uh, my jaw was completely blasted the bits. So they replaced that with metal at first. And I just had a 16 and a half hour surgery to wow. take most of my fibula, put it in my jaw. Um, but yes, half my face is basically missing. How has that been for you, that kind of adjustment? Functionally, things like eating or reading, but also like emotionally, you don't look the same. How has that been? No, it's weird because look in the mirror, like I'm going to be having five more surgeries, reconstructive surgeries, mm-hmm. at least. But I actually look in the mirror and accept myself more for the first time in my whole entire life than I ever have in my 34 years. Why do you think that is? I think it's because when I look in the mirror, I see a warrior mm. and a survivor. You know what I mean? Like when I look in the mirror, it's like, holy shit, look what I've been through and what I've done to myself. And like, I'm actually happy. Like this year has been hell, but I'm doing, I'm happier than I've ever been in my whole life. Not suicidal these days? No. I mean, of course, I've never, I've always been haunted by suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. since I was 11. I'm not going to attempt suicide again because it gets me nothing but trouble. And it hurts my dad really bad, who was my best friend. Mm. And I couldn't leave my dog. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? She's a chihuahua. Nice. Well, are you getting any kind of treatment, be it therapy or counseling or whatever? Oh, gosh. So I did do an inpatient program, outpatient program mm-hmm. with a local um, psychiatry thing. It was stupid cognitive behavioral therapy for the millionth time. CBT. Didn't do, yeah, didn't do a damn thing for me. Again, I've been trying that since I was 11. So I haven't actually seen a therapist or a psychiatrist in months. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be going to a new uh, primary care physician, and they have therapists and psychiatrists there. Nice. So I'm going to be seeing people when I go there. And I'm hoping they actually do something different. And my medications need to be adjusted, things yeah. like that. So How about the drinking? I was getting bad again for like a week. Like I was starting to drink every day. And then I knew when I went to get a drink at nine in the morning, yeah. And I had to force myself to wait until nine in the morning. I knew that it wasn't going to be good. So I gave my dad all my money. I ended up taking it back, but I'm not going to buy alcohol because I was already getting back into a dark place within a week. Huh. And I just, I'm one of those people, I can't drink like casually. Because if I drink casually, then I get right back down to the bottom again. Very yeah. fast. You, you've got some really heightened sense of self-awareness. Yeah. And like you said, you're using the word warrior. 
a lot of people would say, whatever, I'm just going to keep drinking. I do feel better a little bit when I'm drinking. That's why we drink. But you're not right. doing that, which is pretty impressive. I didn't stop for myself. I stopped for my father because his, he, his mother and his father were alcoholics. All his brothers were alcoholics. So he suffered a lot of trauma when uh, he was a child and then dealing with my alcoholism for 19 years. Yeah. It was very painful for him to watch me drinking myself to death. And I'm also very mean when I drink. Oh, and you're I don't a mean like, drunk. I'm very mean drunk. Oh, wow. Okay. And I, I don't like to be that way. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I even like, I'll snap at my dad and I don't like hurting him ever. And I'll say, you know, mean things about my mother. I don't know. I just get really mean, nasty at a lot of people. Yeah. And I don't like being that way. So, you know, drinking makes you happy, like when you first get buzzed. But then after that, you get emotional, mm-hmm. you get shitty. I, I really stopped to make my dad feel less worried and upset. Mm. And then and in the long run, I end up feeling better. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Based on your experience, your lived experience, you've attempted four times. And you're also part of a Facebook group. So you're conversing, I assume, sometimes with other people. I actually look on my Facebook page at anybody in the groups who are struggling. Like, I feel so alone. I just want to die. And I send them all messages. Good. I send them all messages because I know what it's like to feel completely alone, have nobody, and just want to die. So I try to reach out. I'll make sure to put a link to that Facebook group so people can find it in the show notes. Okay. Well, you just said you know what it feels like, so you're, you're empathizing with what they're going through. Right. To people who are in that kind of pain, who are thinking about ending their lives, or maybe they've tried to end their lives, I realize you don't necessarily know them well, but right. what do you have anything you could say to them if they hear this as somebody who's been through it a few times? Usually what I try to do is start with, you know, saying what's going on, what's wrong. They tell me everything that's going on. Um, and then I try to make like make them feel good about themselves. They'll talk about something and I'll, I'll try to get more into that if it's something positive they say about like my brother, my father, my, my lover. And I'll try to get them to see the good things and then I'll say, I promise you attempting suicide will get you nothing but trouble. I don't do the whole guilt tripping where like you're going to hurt the people, you know, who love you because that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not at all. You have to make them feel like they are loved, not like guilty that they and make them feel like they're not alone. You know, say I've been in the place you're at and I'm here if you ever need to talk to somebody. I'll be your friend. I'm always here if you want to chat. But I never guilt trip them because I hated that. The whole, you're selfish. Until you've been in a suicidal person's shoes, I don't want to hear anybody say they're being selfish for anything. If you want, if you want so much pain, you want to die, I don't think you should be angry at the person for leaving. But I also think that say you have a bad relationship with somebody, if you die, You'll never know if it could be better. Right. You know, lots of things, good things can happen. Life can change. You're not going to be stuck here forever. You know, this may feel like it's permanent, but it's 
really just a temporary, like I've been suicidal my whole life, but it's really those particular moments where it's really hard. They mm. do end up going away. Yeah. And if you take your life in that moment, you're risking missing out on a lot of happy things. Yeah. That's what I try to tell them. And I do try to just chat with them and make them feel happy. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah. And I go through all that every day. And I look for people. So what's the name of your Facebook group? I don't have it written down. I think it's suicide attempt survivors. Because there's a lot of groups that are called suicide survivors. But those are for the people who were close to people who attempted suicide. Lost survivors, right. So it's suicide attempt survivors. What do you think is what could be more than one myth around suicide, be it ideating or attempting or recovery? Like what's stuff that people just don't get? And you hear stuff and you're like, nah, that's just bullshit. Like people who aren't suicidal? Or people probably who are, could be could be both, but I would imagine more people who aren't who've never been through it. Right. So I would say the biggest myth is that we're dangerous. That people who are suicidal and depressed are dangerous mm. to others. And I don't ever want to hurt anybody. The only person I ever want to hurt is myself. Right. People who are mentally ill. It's a very, very, very tiny percentage of people with mental illness who are going to hurt other people. It's Mm -hmm. really we're self-destructive and hate ourselves. We don't want to hurt other people. So I guess that's my biggest thing that bothers me. You know, the minute you tell somebody that you've attempted suicide or you're depressed, they think, oh, God, this person's going to do a school shooting or something like that. And that's totally untrue. Sure. Do you ever remember a conversation someone had with you who was asking, you know, you were talking about this stuff and they engaged with you in a way that you appreciated or liked or thought this person not only cares, but is communicating in a way that I appreciate and I feel validated or respected or whatever it may be. Oh, my father. There is one more myth I want to say. Please. People say, did you do it for attention? Mm-hmm. Hell no. I had a therapist ask me if I shot myself in the head for attention. What a fucking joke. It's a bizarre question, I think. Who the fuck shoots themselves in the head for attention? I wanted to die. I didn't want attention. So anyway, when people aren't so cliche about talking to you about suicide, when they really make it clear that they love you, very, very much, or that your life is meaningful, that you you could be happy and you don't even know it. I love when people say to me, I'm so glad you didn't die. Um, and I've had many, many people say that to me later down the line, you know, people that I started talking to, I'm so glad you didn't die. But when I was suicidal, but honestly, when I was really down, really close to that point, I wasn't talking to anybody. Right, yeah. So that's the point where you have to catch somebody long before they get to that point. So dangerous at that point, right? Yeah. Because all the ways in which you might connect with them to get them out of it are gone. That's why you have to catch it. If you think somebody's looking for attention and you're like, oh, they're just looking for attention, 
and ignore their posts or don't say something, that might be their first thought of they want to die. And maybe yeah. if somebody had reached out to them and talked to them, maybe they could have gotten help another way or right. it could have been prevented. So anytime you have any feeling that a person might hurt themselves, don't make it a fucking, don't make light of that. Right. Even if it's the smallest tint. Yeah. I always think, and maybe I have a sort of weird, dark way of looking at things. I don't want to be the last person you ever talk to. So that means, and I obviously hope nothing bad happens to them. I don't want to be the person who says that shitty thing. Now, I'm not suggesting my words are any connected to a reason why someone does something, but I want to be the guy that maybe makes them feel a little less shitty or a little less alone. And fortunately, I'm lucky having gone through some stuff and done this podcast or whatever else, I think I have a better sense of, because the whole time I've been well-intentioned, I think, but I didn't always realize what the things were that are likely to, to work or feel good for people. Yeah. And you learn that, right? Because I think a lot of people are, they're not assholes. They're well-intentioned, but they're just in over their head. They have no idea. I don't know if it's harmful, but it certainly isn't helpful or useful. As long as you come from your heart, don't even think about it. Just say how much you love the person. Say, I care about you. Say, you know, don't make them feel bad and guilty that they want to hurt themselves. Just make it very, very clear that they are loved and people don't want them to go. Yeah. Not for themselves, but they want them to find happiness. So as long as you really speak from your heart in a loving way, and don't be judgmental or hurtful or make them feel guilty. Just speak from your heart because nobody wants anybody to die, right? I hope not. I'd say 60% of people are good people, right? <laughs> sure. So the good people, when you're talking to somebody who's suicidal, if you have a good heart, there's really nothing you can say wrong to somebody. Mm -hmm. if, you love, if you are coming to them in a loving way. Yeah, sure. Is that how your dad is with you? I talk to him every day. And he has no problem with me opening up to him anytime I'm feeling down, um, anytime I'm feeling sad. I tell him how I'm feeling. He will just validate my feelings and say, you have every right to feel that way. I understand how hard it is for you. You're dealing with so much. You're very strong. Mm. You know, he'll just... He'll validate my feelings. He won't say, oh, stop being so depressed or, you know, get over it or just try to think happy thoughts. He completely validates my feelings and lets me know that I'm allowed to feel that way. Yeah. Um, and having him back in my life has been my number one reason for not attempting again because his words save my life every day. If you have somebody you love, don't ever give up on them. Don't get annoyed with them. Just be there for them every single day. Every day. One person really can make the difference. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. What uh, sounds like a good guy, your dad. Oh, my. He is the most kind, generous, loving, wonderful, incredible human being I've ever known. Ever will know. There's wow. nobody like my dad. There's nobody like my dad. Wow. I know. I'm very lucky. Very, very um, lucky. So other than your dad, 
and your dog, Jade, what brings you, if anything, I don't want to make any assumptions here. What do you, what brings you some joy? What's joyful? So I have a lot of friends I talk to um, Mm -hmm. online. I don't really see anybody right now because of the pandemic. I actually didn't have any friends at one point and I built Mm -hmm. up a good amount of friends over the last year. But I do love to read. I am Wiccan and practice witchcraft. Witchcraft? Yes, and I'm Wiccan. So, what does that mean, um, Wiccan? Uh, it's a pagan religion. So, I work on my studying books for that and collecting flowers and nature stuff, uh, taking my dog outside. Yeah. I have a little solo elliptical I use to exercise because. I haven't taken care of myself in years. And oh my God, this exercising makes me feel better. I know it's so easy to say, but this thing I can sit down and do it. So lazy bastards like me, (laughs) you're still working out and sweating, but you can sit there and play games on your phone and read or whatever. So I highly recommend that to anybody who's suffering. For sure, for sure. I gotta say, yeah, I I do some swimming and it's such a game changer. Oh yeah. My thing. I know nothing about Wiccan or Pagan or witchcraft. So that's really interesting. Kind of weird. (laughs) But it has brought me to a place of peace, really. It's taught me how to meditate without actually meditating. Because I always thought, oh, my God, meditation is so dumb. But then when I have a reason to sit in silence or um, sit and talk to my, my goddess, that gives me a reason to meditate when I'm not even thinking about it. Right. I don't really have any other questions. You've been so open and brave and sharing everything. Is there, is there other things that you sort of think about that you want to share that I maybe didn't ask about or didn't come up? Just don't do it. <laughs> You're going to end up like me, you know, either gone forever without being able to experience joy and happiness um, I mean, I had not experienced joy and happiness until the last half year of my life, ever. Mm, 34 years old. Things can change. Things can change. And hopefully you have somebody to lean on to help you make changes so you feel better. But no matter how hard it gets, just tell yourself in my weird voice, don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't do it because... I mean, there's so many consequences for yourself and others. So hear what Alyssa in Vermont is telling you and sharing with you. Do not do it. Yeah, don't do it. Even though I just met you when we started communicating a couple days ago and we've had a conversation for what, 45 minutes? Yeah. I am so glad you didn't die. Thank you so much. I am. Me too. And if anything, if I can help other people, that's really, from my experience, I can help a lot of people. I Shooting bet. yourself in the head is no joke. Nope. So, and if I can help people to stay alive and find out that you can find joy and make people feel less alone, I feel like it's my calling because I know when I was so alone, I had nobody. I just was wishing for somebody to reach out to me and say, my God, are you okay? Yep. And even in all the groups I posted in, nobody would say a word. They would just do the suicide hotline number. 
you need a friend, I will be your friend and here to talk to. Man, I know it sounds a little cliche or um, what's the word? Trite, maybe. <laughs> but like, I really do appreciate you reaching out, reaching back, being so open, being so honest. Um, because a lot of people, most people wouldn't do it. And I really do think it helps. So thank you. You know, that's really why I want to do it is to make other people know that they are cared about and that they they need to stay alive. Yeah. Awesome, Melissa. Thank you so, so much again for doing this. I think people are going to get a lot out of it. And um, maybe afterwards you'll also connect with folks and maybe you can help them out. I would be more than okay with that. I would love to. It was nice to talk to you. Very nice. All right, Alyssa, take care, and I uh, hope things uh, continue to go well. All right, thanks a lot. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening, and special thanks to Alyssa up in Vermont. We release new episodes every Monday morning. If you want to connect with us before then, you can reach out by email, hello at suicidenoted.com. Follow us on social media at Suicide Noted. Until we connect again, stay strong, but do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.